Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, as we've heard your word read and as it continues to comfort and challenge us today, enable us to be as Mary of the sisters Martha and Mary, that we may choose what is better, to stop, to listen, to love and obey your word today. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, well, thanks to Dave for getting my uh, steps count up. That was helpful, handing those books out. That was, that was a pleasure to do that. Uh, let me ask you, have you heard a news story where someone is described as a good Samaritan? Yeah, ever heard that? You can nod, shake, wave your arms. Yes, we all have. Well, most of us, and we all generally know what it means, don't we? Here are just a few examples I found looking it up. Uh, Good Samaritan rescues trapped driver in South Australia. Here's another one. Melbourne mum seeks good thinking, uh, quick thinking, good Samaritans who help toddler uh, get urgent care. Here's another one. Good Samaritan is hailed a hero after coming to the aid of a woman who had crashed and then even helped the Ambos. Uh, and another, medical student travelling on an overnight train called upon to act as good Samaritan. And even with the news of what's happened and the grief and the devastation in Turkey uh, in the last two weeks, here's another one. This good Samaritan brought 10 excavators from a nearby city and with them we've found a man alive under the rubble. That is a good news story, isn't it? The good Samaritan... When you stop and think about it, and you think about how widespread the knowledge of uh, this parable is, the Good Samaritan must be one of the most famous people in history. Uh, people who write the news, so many of them don't share our trust in Jesus, and yet they know about the Good Samaritan. And even if you didn't hear about him first in Luke, you can hear about him in all these different other avenues of life. It'd be unusual if you hadn't heard someone being compared to him. So what do all those headlines report? Well, the message they send is a good Samaritan is someone who shows kindness to another person, shows kindness to someone they don't already know. Having said that, maybe I should just sit down. Uh, we can get on with the next song uh, because you know you just need to do it. Well, uh, maybe I'll stay up here. Uh, because my question is, have I really understood it? It's a question I need to ask every time I come to the Word of God, even a familiar part of the Word of God. Have you understood it? Have we felt the full force Jesus' hearers would have felt when he first told this parable? And how does Jesus telling it at this point in Luke uh, challenge and change us, even as he is in conversation with this lawyer? What we hear today is there are two crucial and interlocking ways where we must imitate the Good Samaritan and experience the Good Samaritan. And that's actually going to form our outline for today. Coming to the passage then, and do have it open in front of you if at all possible, uh, did you notice the temperature 
goes up even as we begin in verse 25. We know this expert in the law comes more as a foe than a friend. Uh, he stood up, we're told, to test Jesus, to throw down the gauntlet uh, for a jewel over the law, a jewel over the law and word and work of God. And so we read, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus' response to this question is to ask another question, asking the expert of the law, what does the law say, the law given by God to his people? Uh, and his answer, it's an answer that Jesus heartily agrees with. The answer he himself gives, Jesus gives, in the other Gospels of Mark and Matthew. And so we read verse 27. He answered, this is the teacher of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now those words, those two commands, uh, they come from the word of God back in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 that we heard read out. Uh, they capture uh, that, that essential way in which all of our lives is to be shaped by God, our hearts, by God's hearts. But it shouldn't be lost on us that where this lawyer came to, you know, sort of act as judge and jury over Jesus... Jesus, by his question, and by the way, he's the one who confirms the answer, he actually is judge over him. Do this and you will live. Now, there's more that can be said about these commandments uh, and whether we do them, whether we even can do them. But just when the expert should have sat down and when the episode should have come to an end, well, things take another turn. Listen to what happens next, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? What sort of question is that? Uh, I take it it's a sort of question that, well, you can read it two ways. It's a bit of the glass half full or the glass half empty, isn't it? Uh, it could be a sympathetic question, a humble question, only desiring to know so that he can do what his master wants him to do. Then again, it can be quite the opposite, can't it? It can be a self-serving, asking, what is the least I need to do? Loving just my household or my friends or those who love me or the people who are the same as me. But the passage has already shown us. It's actually, it falls into the second, doesn't it? What does Luke say? The man wanted to justify himself before Jesus. This is a man who came to test Jesus and who wants to be proved right before Jesus and before God himself, even over and at the expense of Jesus. And so having lost the first jewel, he launches a second. And I need to say to you, uh, Jesus' response is shocking. The parable of the Good Samaritan is shocking. 
We might not feel shocked by it, even as we heard Hamish talking about it and heard it read. I mean, you might be shocked by hearing Hamish talking about it, but that's for other reasons. Uh, We might not feel shocked by it, but that's because, and we need to remember this, we live on the other side of the, the Jesus revolution. So many of us have experienced the Jesus transformation. Or if Jesus was around today... Uh, and if you were going to use the lingo of our day, he would certainly be cancelled. I say that with certainty, given the path he was on here and saying the very sort of things that he says here led him to the cruelest and most permanent cancellation people can imagine. And for him it was death on a cross. What's so shocking about it? Well, look back over it with me together. The parable begins. A man was walking at night into a lonely alley, into a known hotspot for robbers and murderers. Now, I might not say it in so many words in front of us in the passage, but that's the sense Jesus' actual words would have given those who heard him. They knew the area, they knew the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and what it was like. And this is the sort of picture that occurs in our minds that matches the the picture in their minds. And they would have had an equivalent sense of dread that comes with that, knowing what's about to happen. And it does happen. And the man is left robbed, naked and half dead. And so then Jesus He continues in the parable. Then each of the three other travellers enter the frame. The first arrives and looks promising, a priest privileged in the service of God, very knowledgeable in the very law that uh, uh, Jesus and the lawyer had just discussed. But he passes by. The second arrives and if the robbed man could open his eyes, he too, uh, he would have looked at the next one and thought he too looks promising. The priests came from the priestly tribe of Levi. They, above all people, should know what to do in this situation. But he too passes by. Now, their actions might seem strange to us, although we're a little bit torn, aren't we? Because we know how this ends and we know what their actions should be. But uh, Jesus clearly isn't agreeing that they did the right thing. But there are at least two possible explanations of why they didn't stop. And it's worth having a think about them. The first, clearly this is a dangerous place. You only have to look at what happened to the last guy who travelled this way to know that this is no place to hang around. The second possible reason, and it would have been obvious to the uh, expert in the law of God Jesus was talking to, for if the man was not just half dead but actually dead, which he may well have looked like, touching him would make uh, them ceremonially unclean according to the law of God and for a time that would have a huge negative impact on where they could go and who they could see and what they could do and so it'd have this huge negative impact on them. Jesus shows us what he wants us 
to think, though. Enter the next traveller. And Jesus identifies him. He's a filthy, good-for-nothing, half-blood, distant and yet despised relation of the Jews from the region and people of Samaria. That's what Jesus says in a word as he names him as a Samaritan. Now, we can't uh, go back into the history, but you can read about it in the Old Testament of how they ended up, those who'd once been together ended up apart and the sorts of reasons why there was this this huge uh, enmity between them. But even if you go back just one chapter in Luke, uh, where we were reading uh, a few weeks ago, in nine, chapter, chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, you can actually read of Jesus travelling from up in Galilee down toward Jerusalem and going through the region of Samaria where the Samaritans lived and how uh, he did not get a warm reception there, this Jewish teacher, and how the disciples, you know, nose out of joint, they wanted to make short work of them, calling down thunder from heaven to destroy them. But Jesus waves them off that course. And so the enmity went both ways. And the Jews felt this towards the Samaritans and the Samaritans equally toward the Jews. But what does the Samaritan here do? You know already, don't you? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This Samaritan was moved to compassion. It has the idea of feeling as much as a decision, a feeling deep within, down in your innards, showing compassion for his mortal enemy. And he doesn't just show a passing concern. He takes his time. He gives him attention. He gives of himself. What Jesus says here, when we put ourselves in the shoes of those who first heard it, it is breathtaking. And he doesn't just deal with him in the moment, he arranges so that he can get better and that he will pay. But even greater than that is that the way Jesus turns things around here so that it's not a Jew who does this, but one from among their great enemies. After telling the parable, as in the first round, Jesus turns the question the lawyer asked him. He turns it back asking him to answer a question himself. And what is it? Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You can almost hear a sort of reluctance in his voice. And remember how this started. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer and Jesus agreed on the answer. Love God, love your neighbour. Do this, Jesus says, and you will live. But when it came to the man drawing a comfortable box around those he would call his neighbours, that he would allow himself to have an obligation to love, Jesus looks at that box and blows it away because he's saying, no, no, 
Actually, it's loving the people outside of that box. That's what I'm calling to you to do. That is how you will inherit eternal life. Love your enemy. Love the person who hates you. Imitate the good Samaritan. If that person, if you see them in need and you can meet their need, have compassion. Show mercy. I was thinking to myself, uh, knowing that, you know, you guys and girls in Chips and Chat are here among us and uh, these uh, Bible talks are as much for you as for us. I was thinking, uh, who might your enemy be that you're actually being asked to think about and answer for yourself even today? Uh, You know, the first answer that would have come to my mind uh, at your stage of life was my brother or sister. Uh, You know, that's just how the way things play out. Uh, But I imagine you can think of other people, people who've said things and done things at school uh, or in your neighbourhood. And what Jesus says here to all of us today is that there is another way from the way in which we would naturally choose and sinfully choose at that. There is more to the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan in the way it works itself out for us than simply to show kindness to people that you might not know already. You know, even there's a degree of acceptance in our community that we should take that attitude, even among people who don't trust Jesus. But that only exists because of the revolution Jesus has won. Uh, it's great uh, that we're handing out books and people are reading books. I mentioned uh, Glenn Scrivener's book uh, before Christmas, The Air We Breathe, uh, and it's worth noting that <coughs> a guy named Tom Holland, uh, not Spider-Man, uh, the other Tom Holland who writes history books, not quite as exciting for the average punter, uh, uh, this Tom Holland is not a follower of Jesus and in his book Dominion he's written along similar lines and come to the same conclusion. That is, that the way we think, and we think it's normal and has been this way for all time, actually owes itself to the revolution that Jesus has brought across so many countries of the world. The values which undergird our society uh, are the very opposite of those of the world before Jesus walked in it and transformed it. Even among the Jews of Jesus' day, like the one he was speaking to, the very people of God. And Jesus speaks to you and I today, and he's speaking to us right now, and he's saying, God's people imitate the Good Samaritan. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But there is something else going on here. As Jesus walks and talks and teaches, remember chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, he set out for Jerusalem despite what he knew would meet him there. Now with this lawyer before him on the journey, and apart from the intervention of God, God changing us, we would be like this lawyer We will always ask uh, 
sorry, we will always ask, what can I do to enter eternal life? Where the emphasis is on me. And as we so often see ourselves as we hear this parable, uh, I wonder if you do this. I always do this when I'm reading a, a story from the Bible or reading a story from anywhere or watching it. Do you put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters? Uh, do, you, do you pick out for yourself, oh, I'm meant to be like that person? And so we often see ourselves when we hear this and we think, oh, we're, we're meant to be in the shoes of the Good Samaritan. But actually, there's something that comes before that. Where Jesus and all he does, we cannot fulfill the law of God. We fail to love God. We fail to love our neighbour as ourselves without the intervention of God. And so we need to first step out of the shoes of the Good Samaritan we've been hearing so much about and see ourselves instead in the place of a different actor in this parable. See ourselves instead as the robbed, naked, half-dead man. Because without the compassion and mercy of God, our own story will not end well. Where the traveller we need, he came into the world and didn't consider his sacrifice uh, of humility and humiliation and death too great a price to pay. And he did it when we were filthy, good-for-nothing, self-centred traitors, his enemies, not his friends, made in his image and yet despising him. You see, every one of us, before we can imitate the Good Samaritan, we need first to experience the Good Samaritan above all others. Not the character in the parable, <coughs> pardon me, but the Lord Jesus himself, who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, rescuing us from death, uh, tending to our deepest need, showing extravagant kindness, putting aside his best interests for those who would otherwise hate him. That is the reason that you or I may love God or love our neighbour. And as we've been in this, uh, in this part of Luke, we've been hearing, uh, haven't we, that the only way you can know this, the, way, the only way you can experience this, is for God the Father to reveal it through Jesus the Son and for them to reveal it to us. You might remember, as we read last week, this, this privilege, this transforming knowledge of God. It, it's not something that we could have explored or found out for ourselves. Our need actually gets in the way. The, the effect of sin stops us from doing that. But it is given by God. The wise and the learned of this world, you might remember Jesus says, it is hidden from them, but revealed to all who would receive Jesus' words and sacrificial work by trust. Now, bringing these two <clears throat> great themes together, in one sense, our two themes today 
uh, at least the way I've put them up there, are in the wrong order uh, because you can't imitate the Good Samaritan until you've experienced the Good Samaritan. So uh, let's swap them around and put it in a way that would be more helpful. Uh, certainly this is the way I'd like you to remember it, even as we go in our different directions today. Uh, but let me say those uh, two themes uh, using slightly different words. Experience the compassion and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you depend on him, imitate him in the way you treat others. So we need to be people who are not asking, where can I draw the line? Is this person my neighbour? That person is not my neighbour. Rather, your neighbour is seeing even the person who has harmed you, <clears throat> who has fired off the arrows of unkind words, or worse. Uh, if we have opportunity to show them compassion and mercy, Jesus invites us. He commands us, but he also enables us to draw from the deep well of the Father, the Son and the Spirit's love and compassion shown from us to offer it to others. Now that does raise uh, an important matter that I want to uh, stop at for a moment. You might think of this as a qualification. I don't think it's a qualification. I actually think it's understanding what Jesus is saying. But there have been oft times, and you yourself may have experienced it, where people will demand that you treat them a certain way, uh, that to love them will be to act in the way they want you to, even if that is not a good thing, even if it is not appropriate. And so I just want to uh, mention this at this time to recognise that that is not what Jesus is saying here. And the way to know how to put what Jesus is saying into practice is to know Jesus' word to be someone who prioritises his word and listens to his word, and that will enable you to... Well, it comes back to uh, something that I, I do rave about a little bit. Uh, I hope you'll indulge me. It's what I call the discipleship tool. I didn't invent it. It simply, I think, reflects what we're being called on to do in the Bible, which is we all know that the goal God has for every person is that they might be mature in Christ. Whether they are already trusting Jesus or not trusting Jesus yet, that... that that is what life is headed toward. And so I can look at the person in front of me and I can say, what is their situation? And as I have the word of God in my mind, I can direct it to go, well, I can serve them in this way to move next steps towards maturity in Jesus. And so sometimes, and I've certainly had this experience, and maybe you have too, people want to demand that I act towards them in a certain way. And they say, if you don't agree with me or agree with what I think or agree with what I do, you don't love me. And so from some of the most extreme examples to uh, much more mundane, everyday examples, I expect that we have all had that experience in some way or other. 
But Jesus says to us, no, you know how to love when you hear my word about how to love. And sometimes you need to say no. No to doing what someone wants you to do or affirming something they want you to affirm because it suits them. That, and it can be costly, is still the compassion and mercy that we've read about here today. And I mention it because it's actually more and more the air we breathe, going back to Glenn Scrivener's book, where our world has these values and views that have been shaped by Jesus and what he values and what he views, and yet at the same time wants to walk away from Jesus and his lordship and say, you cannot love me. You do not love me unless you do what I want towards me. And that is not what Jesus says. As we have heard the word of God today, can I leave you with this? You've probably already been doing this as we've been hearing Jesus speak. But you know who are the people in your life that are easier, uh, that are more low maintenance to have relationships with, and those who are higher maintenance. In fact, even beyond that, have hurt or harmed you, who deserve payback at least as the world sees it and as my heart when I'm wound up desires it. What opportunities will you have now when you see them again to show compassion and mercy to them? And will you? Let's pray that by God's grace, we will. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the way in which you have loved us when we were treacherous and raising our fist at you and your enemy. We thank you that we can experience Jesus, the good Samaritan, so as to speak, and demonstrate his love in the way in which we love others. Help us, we pray. Forgive us, we pray. For we confess that we have not always acted the same as Jesus. And we need your spirit to shape our hearts to be shaped like his heart. Work in us, we pray, that we might love even our enemies, knowing the extraordinary love with which you have loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.